Welcome to Marketing Money Podcast. Roll it! Well, welcome back to the Marketing Money Podcast. It's uh, not so early, but mid-morning time here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Early, it's New Orleans early. It's New Orleans. 9.30 early. Is, is early in New Orleans. So it's, it becomes New Orleans in the evening. Uh, only by people who aren't from the area. No, that's what they call it. Okay. I, I, heard, okay. I heard them. I'll let you have it. Anyway, what's the deal? We have John Deal. Did, did you like that? That was That was fantastic. It was I'm awesome. Gonna, I'm gonna Never heard that, that one Never before. Never heard what's the deal. That's right. And, and, and in wealth management, I mean, we're always looking for a for, good deal. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> the cheese is heavy with breakfast this morning. What uh, What is the deal? Well, guys, I'm here uh, really to talk about aging and technology and different ways that technology is going to change the way people age going forward and how is financial services firms and advisors, we can we can help to educate and connect our clients with those technologies to make life a little bit better or more fun at least. So, so you, you 20, did a power break. He just did a power breakfast, right? Yeah. And so were that was that your that was your subject, I take it. Give it us was. give us the, the three strong points for the listeners that weren't able to set the power breakfast. So how about uh, I'll do what everybody does. You said three, I'll give you five, right? So Perfect. here's how tech's gonna change the way we age. It's gonna keep us connected with work because more people are gonna want to work later into their lives, not just for the money, but for social engagement validation. It's going to keep us connected with friends and family. That's number two. It's going to keep us mobile and help us get places and help get things to us is number three. Number four is it's going to improve lifestyle within the home, the house that keeps itself, home automation. And number five is healthcare, healthcare monitoring and technologies that are going to help us as we age. So John, I saw a news story yesterday, I believe that um, by 2030, the average age um, life expectancy is going to move to 90. Um, we'll be living longer than ever. Um, I'm from Mississippi, so ours is a little lower. Um, we eat um, a lot of really good foods, but um, <laughs> what, what, from an investment standpoint, should we be looking at as, as we have to fund ourselves um, later and longer and later in life. Yeah, well, I think from an investment standpoint, you really have to think about those rules of thumb that we've been taught and we all live with, right? A lot of people still have a rule of thumb that we retire at age 65, 67, and you know we give it a good go for five or seven years. Well, guess what? It's not five or seven years anymore. It's 15, 20, 25 years. And we may not be retiring at 65 or 67. We may change our careers or do things a little bit differently, or maybe we volunteer or work part-time or whatever, but we want to stay in the game. That I guess the big news is so rules of thumb about how much equities, how much in debt, so on and so forth. We really have to re-examine those because those rules of thumb were built for a different generation at a different time. The factor by which we are off is pretty big too. I mean, five years or ten years of retirement versus fifteen to twenty-five. And as you said, with healthcare, healthier, happier adults, um, we're not we're not. Um, you know, sitting in the living room anymore. It's, it's active people wanting to have um, 
funds to uh, live life. Yeah, absolutely. And so if we're going to live into our 80s and 90s and beyond, which, uh, you know, a lot of people today would say babies born today are routinely going to live to age 100. That kind of changes the deal in terms of how long we're going to be doing what we're doing, how we're living, uh, all the information around, you know, healthy lifestyles is all paying dividends. The, um, yeah, which this whole discussion brings me to Social Security, which we don't have to get into that, but if, if six, you, know, you start growing at 62, 63, 65 is the full, I mean, and then you're talking about living on average 30 years longer? Yeah. And it's already supposed to run out in the next 20 years or something? So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't designed to do a lot of the things that it's called to do today. I think, you know, a lot of times people get really upset when they think about what changes may be coming, but generally speaking, you know, short term, the, the changes probably need to come over time, but they'll take a while to change. But I think one important thing we'll learn is that a lot of the money we're going to need to help sustain us into longer life is going to come as a result, not of government action, but of the things that we can do for ourselves. Well, otherwise, I mean, we get into the push-pull of it. Either you're going, if you want Social Security to take care of you, if you want Social Security to take care of you, you're either going to have to pay more in when you're working active age or expect less later. I mean, it's just... Yeah, and, and I mean, aside from Social Security or the sources, we, we really have to call into account what are the things we intend to do? What, what do we want our story to be about? And then how do we use our assets to make that happen? I, what I always say to people is, look, money's a lot like electricity, right? Not a lot of people think about all the things that go into generating electricity and getting it through the wires into our home. What do we care about? We care about that when we plug the appliance in, it works, Doesn't right? Work. So when, when we want to do things, how do we work with someone that helps us make sure that the energy is there to let us do what we want to do? Uh, another thing I was I was kind of looking through your uh, your bio here and, and trying to see where we could take this conversation is uh, what's new in terms of uh, client expectations in the trust and management field? Yeah, so client expectations. Here's the big thing for for providers of financial services is a lot of what we traditionally think about as our value is commoditized in the mind of the consumer, right? They already expect that you're going to provide great investment advice, that you're going to provide great banking services. But the key to exciting and delighting our clients is really to surprise them on the upside, maybe by educating them or connecting them to resources that they don't know about. So in the area of technology, are there apps or devices that you ought to be having conversations with your clients about that make life easier in some way, or they're at least fun? When you think about some of the transitions that we'll make as we age, whether that's from one career to another, one home to another, what are the stories and things you can share with me of other people like me? What could I learn from the experiences of other people? And so a lot of what I talk about is encouraging advisors to kind of stretch the boundaries of their advice beyond just what's expected and think about how to personalize and empathize with the people that we're trying to help. So following up on that, what would you, if someone's listening in here and, and take it away from in the field, but as an investor or someone who has some, some money, what would your advice be on picking that investor? Because you know you can look, it's just like a commodity, as you said, you can pick anyone and it's like picking a doctor. They could have finished last or first, they're still a doctor. Same thing, they've got their series seven, they can invest for you. What, 
What's, what should I look for when I want to find that person to do what you said? So one of the pieces of research that we participated in with this, these researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology actually examined the top characteristics of what people look for or comment on in terms of advisors. The top two areas were personalization and empathy. So look, if they're, if they're knowledgeable and they work for a reputable firm, whatever, okay, that's a clue that they probably can provide what you're expecting. But do they listen to you? Are they interested in your family situation, what you're trying to get done? Do they bring you ideas? Do they, do they just start with the money stuff or do they want to know, do they want to know more about you than just the investments that you invest in? So it's kind of like the doctor with the bedside manner doesn't get sued. It's, it's exactly yeah. right. It's the changing role, not just of financial services, but advice overall. Essentially what we're looking for in any advisor, health, legal, financial, is cut through all the clutter and tell me what's important for me given my situation and what I'm going through right now. All right, this goes into the, the personalization of everything now. I won't, um, you know, what I was hearing is I want my advisor. Um, that, and, and I think that's great advice. Speaking of great advice, John, um, you you, um, you join a great group that we've interviewed here that have given us, uh, and, and I'm not minimizing this, but r good common sense advice, almost to the point where um, we should have already known that. We talked to someone yesterday about ethics, and of course we should behave ethically. And the question that I have as I listen to this is, why do we have to have these conversations? Why do we have to be told? It's it's obvious the news reports are there that we're we're a we're we're living longer. That technology is there. Why do you think? And, and don't get into a controversial area, but but why do we have to have these conversations? Why why is this industry? Why is banking and financial industry so? Um, slow to maybe even adopt some of this where we can still have these conversations. So I think that, you know, it's largely where we place our value. And if you think 20, 30 years ago, we were the people that knew how to do a lot of things that people just wouldn't know how to do right? Whether it was find financing for a new business operation or whatever. Well, now there are so many different outlets and, you know, people are more educated than they were 20, 30 years ago. In large part, they'll say, you know, if I only had the right, and here's the keyword, time, I could probably figure this out myself. I think the key change is time is compressed for everyone. And so, you know, it's not so much I couldn't do this or, or uh, figure a lot of this out myself. It's that I don't want to. With right? the default. With yeah. The and with all this information out there, I just want to cut to the chase and expediently and efficiently get things done in a manner that I can trust. And well, so that's the new role. Well, a fantastic plug for the um, the ABA conferences overall. The, this is the Wealth Management and Trust Conferences. This is where you can go and get some of those insights in a, in a very um, succinct manner without really um, interrupting your day. You can network. And, you know, if you elect it in the evening, you can go and partake of the town and not a bad town to be cultural experience um so talk a little bit more because we're, we're bumping up against the end of our time here what are the role of demographics and service models going forward because you're talking about the living longer and the individualization so let's get into the demographics of it. sure so a couple of demographic shifts to think about mit would say the emerging dominance of the female consumer is probably the biggest thing that's going to change financial services moving forward not just because 40 percent of women over age 65 currently live by themselves divorced widowhood or never married in the first place but also because education rates among young women are accelerating 
getting so greatly. Now young women are earning 60% of all master's degrees, about half of all doctorates. And so as we think about what are the major issues that she is going to be managing or need our help with over time, today in the United States, we know if you're a woman 47 to 57 years old, especially if you're the eldest daughter in your family, managing the care or providing care for your parents is a major issue, and you're looking for help. And so that would be one area. The other we mentioned already is kind of the, the more educated society of people just at a more educated level, whether it's true or not, coming to us with this attitude that, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy, graduated from a pretty good school, maybe even with an advanced degree. If I only had the time and the tools, I could probably figure this out myself. But the smart ones know they don't have the time and they don't want to figure out the tools. I, I, I equate this dumbing it down very much for me to getting an oil change. Yeah. I could go change the oil in my car. I could get the pan, pull the plug, rip it out, whatever. I don't have the time, nor do I have the tools to do it at my house. That's so I go pay someone thing. 40 bucks to do it for me. I always, my wife always tells me when we were younger, I thought I could fix everything in the house, right? And then I learned over time that it was usually cheaper, and I get it done faster if I hired somebody <laughs> that knew what they were doing to do it for me. Yeah, and, and generally those people don't, if, if it's like me, don't break other things. There's a plumber near my house that puts a sign out that says, I'm the guy that fixes the thing your husband broke. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Me is, I, I just want to go um, to one of the hardware stores and buy more tools <laughs> that I use once. So it's a sorry excuse. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a bad excuse. Not, not, not a good investment strategy. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Um, so, John, appreciate you being on the show. Tell folks if they want to read about you, find out about you. I mean, are you on social media? Can you be found on the website? Give us a little pitch on if someone want, hears this and goes, you know, I'd like to learn more about that guy. Sure. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle will be Hartford Funds JD, all one word. And our website, HartfordFunds.com, has a lot of interesting information about the research that we've done with the MITH lab over the years, where you can educate yourself on some of these trends and things that you want to think about as you plan out those healthy aging years. That's fantastic. Look forward to getting into some of that research. I'm a research nerd. If I only had the time to do more. <laughs> well, you have heard the deal this morning, and that was the, the real deal. deal. The real deal, John Deal. So, John, appreciate you being on the show, and have a good time at the Wealth Management Conference here in New Orleans. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome back to the Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. All things marketing money, fun, whatever Josh says. I don't know. And I clean it up. Anyway, we have Mr. Dick Fisher here from AlphaCore. Yes. AlphaCore. He has just presented on the, I don't know, stage up there. The mini main stage. The mini, mini main stage. The main the, mini He's the main man on the mini main stage. That's right. I like it. <laughs> Dick, tell us about AlphaCore. Good, good. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, Elvacor is an outsourced CIO for banks and trusts and independent advisors. We help uh, these advisors with their liquid alternatives allocations. And what's happened over time is the traditional 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds has started to evolve and needs to evolve given where valuations are in equities and where interest rates are going. And more and more people are looking to non-correlated return streams and they, they look to alternative investments to get that. 
Um, and with that, over the last six to 10 years, a lot of new uh, alternative mutual funds have been launched and ETFs. And so much so there's over 450 liquid alternative options now. And with that, obviously, not all of them can be great. Some of them are quite poor, some of them are good. You have to be able to be able to filter through that list and determine what's right for your client base. And then furthermore, how to blend them together with other alt strategies and with your traditional stocks and bonds. And so what we do is we come in and create a customized portfolio for banks, trusts, and RIAs based upon their particular client needs. So, um I saw that Yellen was yelling that the rates may go up yeah. in the March meeting or soon thereafter. They, they always right. hedge. Right. Uh, what would you be advising people to do right now based on this mm. information that we have, which is an mm. opinion? But Sure. I, I think there is, it's going to be dramatic. I think this, we've lived in a 30-year bull market, basically interest rates falling for 30 straight years. And you've started to see that turn over the last six to nine months. And then the Fed is saying what you just said is that they're intimating that they're going to be raising rates multiple times in 2017. That's going to be an entirely new paradigm for most investors. What I do know is that you don't want to just be long only or basically dependent upon rates falling in fixed income. You want to have strategies that can take advantage of interest rates rising. If that happens, you need to look to strategies like long short fixed income or long short equity or market neutral. These strategies can actually participate in rates rising and then protect if you get sharp movements either way. So that's why I believe their alternatives need to be in almost all portfolios. They don't need to take over 100% of a portfolio, but they need to be uh, blended together with traditional stocks and bonds. So Dick, talking about alternative investments, I think about things like um, new media, Facebook, social media, and things like that that aren't that new anymore. Right. They were alternative for a while. So what um, what are the alternatives? Look, look yeah. in your, well, look in your crystal ball and see right. what alternatives. What, what should we be looking to call alternative investments in five years? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. alternative investments have been alternative for, for a little while now. Agreed, agreed. Bitcoin. I think that's, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a true, that's a, that's a way out there alternative. We, so we kind of bucket the world of alts into two big segments. There's, there's alternative asset classes, and that can be real estate, commodities, gold, precious metals, um, MLPs. Those are alternative asset classes, right. but they're still dependent upon a rising market in that given it's asset still a class. Commodity. Yeah, it's still a commodity. If, if risk assets are off, well, then MLPs, REITs, all those things also fall. Then there's alternative strategies, and those are just more actively managed strategies that can hedge or go short particular asset classes. So those strategies include the things that we was mentioning, which long short equity, long short fixed, market neutral, event driven managed futures, global macro. That world has traditionally been the most kind of opaque and unusual for most investors because they don't know how to uh, analyze it and do their own due diligence. And it's hard to determine who's good and who's not. And a lot of people don't get paid commission to give advice on it. That's right. The other yeah. That's exactly right. And we, and so that's part of the reason why I launched AlphaCore is I, I was a part of a firm that we were launching products into this alt space for, for many years. And I saw this, this, this need for somebody to stay, we're not going to sell you a product anymore. We're going to give you advice. We're going to sit on your side of the table with you and tell you which ones are good and which ones aren't. And that's a, a big shift. And I think the world of alternatives, this is the next evolution of alternatives. So again, there's enough product now. Prices are coming down. There's a lot of choices. Now somebody needs to give advice on which ones are good and which ones aren't. So AlphaCore, just to plug in, I want to make sure I get this right, at which level interacts with, with AlphaCore as a software. It's a portfolio manager. They're, they're assessing 
Yes, so we, we sit as uh, basically a CIO of Alts, right. and we have an agreement with a bank or a trust or an RIA to be a sub-advisor for them on their Alts allocation. Right. And we act as a portfolio manager, and we'll, we'll rebalance those portfolios. We're not married to our managers, right? They, we don't share in their fees, they don't share in our fees. Right. We want to keep that independent so we can hire and fire the managers whenever we see fit. Uh, and you want that in the world of alternatives because things change and you know managers get too large, too small, portfolio managers shift, you want to be able to get in and out whenever you need to get out. Uh, and that's that's how we work. We work in a sub-advisory capacity for most of the banks and trusts and RAs. What's your, uh, what's your sweet spot on bank asset size? It's it's interesting you ask that. We we've done an analysis at AlphaCore. We originally thought, well, it's going to be the bank trusts that are call it a hundred million to a billion that would need to outsource uh, because they're they're strapped for for time for money and they typically don't have a lot of manpower. But what's happened is a lot of the even larger bank trusts, the three billion, four, five billion dollar uh, trusts, they have had such a history in just traditional stocks and bonds. They're looking at the world of alts and saying, I could either go out and hire you know, three, four, five analysts to do this, which will cost me a lot of money. They'll have HR issues to deal with. They may hire the right, wrong person. Or we can outsource this at a really reasonable rate to a team of experts, which is what we put together at AlphaCore, that have, that have experience in alternatives, right? You, you, you can't just uh, buy that experience, right? The experience is you have to live it. And, and having been in this space for more than a couple of decades, uh, it's something that we offer. Is this something that you ever work directly with um, some institutional money? I mean, um, w within say um, some sort of endowment or things like that, or yeah. does it ever go straight to a large endowment? Or yeah, more and more pensions and endowments are reaching out. It, it, there's a couple of things that went on with that. Is a lot of the pensions and endowments historically have hired large consulting firms, and they've done um, more uh, illiquid alternatives. So, you know, locked up hedge funds, private kind, equity. Kind of venture. an understatement, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. These things are locked up five, but, but, seven years, yeah. right? Uh, Something where somebody signs off with the fiduci fiduciary responsibility, they there is they gave away. All, all risk is mitigated. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. And it, and now because there's been liquid options, there's there's this whole new world where even smaller endowments and pensions can get involved, and that's actually exciting because it actually gives more transparency, it lowers the fees, and even some of the great hedge fund managers have jumped into the liquid space and started offering strategies that used to cost 2% manager fee, 20% incentive, they're offering it for one and a quarter all in, yeah. um, which is a really amazing thing for, for a smaller investor to be able to get access to that. So we've been asking a question, that I missed it on our last guy, but to everyone, and, and it's, it's out of what you do individually, but I've been asking, if you had a million dollars in cash today, what would you do with it? <laughs> well, so the, the nice thing about that question is at, at, at AlphaCore, I have 100% of my liquid net worth in the AlphaCore strategies. So I definitely eat my own cooking. There you go. Uh, and, and what we do with it is, I, I look at myself as a balanced and growth investor. So you have to, first of all, determine who you are as an investor, and what, what age you have, what goals you have, you know, do you have children, do you have to stay for college, or are you in retirement where you need mandatory withdrawals? All these things are factors on how you blend a portfolio. But for somebody who's my age, who's got a wife and three kids, I'm looking at a balanced growth portfolio. Balanced growth for me, actually, is much less risky than a 60-40. A 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds, given where PE valuations are today and where interest rates are, that's a really risky portfolio. 
So when you take that and say, okay, well, how do I de-risk it, but still try to get some reasonable returns? Let's, let's call it six to eight percent return. Ooh, that's with, a good return. That'd be with great, low risk. Right? Yeah. I mean, great. Yeah. I was thinking three to four. And if you can get that, well, so what we the only reason, the only way to do this and get that kind of return after inflation and after taxes is you have to have some different type of return stream. So you can't just say, oh, okay, I'm going to try and get it and lever up my equity exposure, especially at these levels. You have to say, okay, where, where do I go look, right? And a lot of people stretch into the wrong places, in my opinion. They go to very illiquid uh, inter- income investments, or they go to very illiquid you know, timber or private equity. Yeah, and, some sort of, yeah. yeah and and they, they probably need liquidity, and they're still stretching into these yeah. illiquid assets. Um, sometimes they're packaged in the inappropriate vehicles. But now that you have the, the ability to go into something like a long short or market neutral or, or these other strategies we've talked about, those, those become the core of, of a portfolio of balanced growth and income. Yeah, so you did, but, it, but you did all of yours in private. In your own company, though. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no. We actually, so I, I no, obviously, I'm with yeah, you. no, I agree. I know what you mean. We, uh, all the liquid, all of my liquid yeah. net worth is in our strategies too. Yeah. yeah. In the strategies. Well, in I the mean, strategies. it's a good thing as a small business owner myself, or a business owner myself. Yeah. I mean, I mean if yeah. you're not betting on yourself, then that's exactly right. On? That's exactly I, right. I'm going to bring a new question in to every. I, I'll, I'll today. allow it. Because <laughs> so so my next question is is we're we're similar stage. I have three kids, same mid mid career yeah. point. But uh, so trying to get that free advice. I, I, free advice, I love it. But back <laughs> it up. Two percent on it. Back it up. Quarter. Back it up to the report that came out. Uh, I think a month or so ago that said the and I hate buzzwords if anyone's on the show. But the but the millennial, mm-hmm. it said that they spend more per year on coffee than they do in their retirement account. So yeah. if we have anyone who's that thirty-five and below demo, mm-hmm. sure. What would you suggest they do? And they don't have a lot of liquid cap. They can't walk in and go, here's, you know, six figures or or seven figures in right. investment. You you got to start somewhere, right? So if somebody is, you know, could have disposable income, let's see, if it's fifty or a hundred dollars a month, you've got to start putting that away, slowly but surely. And uh, you know, the miracle of compounding, if you can get yields or rates of return of call it this five, six, seven percent, that would be that that hundred or a thousand or it turns into five thousand grows dramatically as long as you don't have to take big pullbacks. And, and that's what really hurts investors in the long run. We have a philosophy. It's called win more by losing less. <laughs> we actually wrote a white paper about this. It's on our website. So and basically it says if you have, uh, let's call it, a, a, we'll use a smaller number, $1,000, and you lose 50%, you now have $500 left, right? So now you're starting at $500. Just to get back to break even, you have to make 100% on your $500, right? Same numbers, you know, same thing, a hundred thousand, a million dollars. So the the ability for you to protect the downside means you can start at a higher base. So if you start with the same number, a thousand dollars, you lose twenty percent. You're at eight hundred dollars now. You don't have to make a hundred percent to get to break even anymore. So you don't have to hit huge home runs. I think what a lot of people do is they try and they think of all these great names in the like an Apple or Google and well if I only had this in my portfolio and I had a hundred percent of my assets in that I would have done so well but you until. have you have <laughs> until you don't because yeah. those are the ones you hear about you don't hear the blow-ups right yeah. 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 <laughs> I raised my hand for all those out there listening it wasn't a hundred percent but but but, yeah. but what was but what was in that is yeah yeah until well, it rallied later, well, and so. my, my joke on that I mentioned Bitcoin earlier was <laughs> I had uh, bought a couple of coins a while sure. back for like two hundred, just to test twenty it. bucks to check it. And then all of a sudden, Trump gets elected. There's some shifting. It goes through 
a thousand dollars a coin. I'm right. sitting like, if I would have had everything in yes, Bitcoin, exactly, six hundred percent return. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or zero dollars, or, or it could have gotten hacked, and I yeah. have no money. That's right. So anyway. That's a ton of risk, and that's yeah. and I think a lot of people learn. It, throughout the tech wreck, that was that was the thing that was going on in the late '90s. People were like, "I gotta get in, I gotta get in." They they load up, and then you have, you know, the Nasdaq fell 60 percent plus in the tech collapse, right? The tech wreck. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I don't. So, I'm sure. I have a question. Like we're that. over time, but I'm curious. Uh-huh. It just came up. From from I've never asked anybody this, but from your perspective, mm-hmm. you know, so Yahoo, Google, people are seeing these huge rates return. Right. You know. Options are going through the roof. Millionaires are being made, and then you have one eight hundred pets. That sure, you know, the the other side of that. Uh-huh. Looking back on that, what would have protected that bubble? Uh, I think the key, and you you can read this in a lot of different journals and white papers, is diversification. Yeah, and what's been harder and harder to come by lately is a truly diversified portfolio because there's been this mentality for the since since the 2000s basically of a risk on risk off mentality which which in essence has been controlled by lowering interest rates so if you lower interest rates you can borrow then you get ri- a risk on um, world and that's that's happened you know after the tech wreck we had greenspan and lowered rates and we had an 03 to 07 rally and all the risk assets rallied so housing obviously rallied you know, bad loans were made to, but, to, to yeah, the detriment. That's right. And, and but at the same time when that was happening, crude was rallying. You had commodity prices rallying. All the risk assets were rallying together. So it was really mm-hmm. hard to find diversification. And then after the credit crisis, the same thing. We lower rates to zero. All the risk assets again are doing this. And that's the biggest fear. Like if somebody says to me, oh, what keeps you up at night? So, well, it's the people that are going out saying, okay, I'm going to go buy the S&P today thinking that they're safe when you've just had a nine-year run, right? This is the time to actually look for diversifying strategies. So that's kind of the the, the diversification part is really what you need to look for. Fantastic. Yeah. Dick Fister with Alpha Core. Why don't you close it out and give a little... uh, Right. Not a commercial, but how do people get in touch with you? Let's sure. That you, you can uh, reach us at alphacorecap.com or alphacorefunds.com. That's our website URLs. And our phone number is 858-875-4100. And we'd be happy to talk more in detail about what we do uh, at any time. There you go. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Dick, thanks so much for joining thanks us. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Right. Thanks for having me. Bye. Marketing Money Podcast at marketingmoneypodcast.com. It's John and Josh in Nolans. You don't like it when I say that. I don't know. I mean, all the NOLA, Nolans, who dat? Who dat? Nah, I don't, I don't know. That's, uh, I don't, anyway, we're, we're, we're back on today at the ABA Wealth Management Trust Conference. Early at, in the morning. And with us today is David Batrich from InfoVisa. He has Cornelius, North Carolina on his name tag, but he's a Chicagoan. Chicagoan. <laughs> born, and, born and raised. Born and raised. Born and raised. Three blocks from Wrigley Field. So, Kobe, oh, really? So, oh, you're, yeah. you're, so you're having a good year. North Very Sider. good year. Very good year. My son actually worked for the Cubs organization last year. But uh, we had an epiphany three days ago where we said, but it's a clean slate now. 
spring training, it all starts from scratch again. So a wonderful win, but once again, it's time to start again. Did you go to any of the playoff games? I did not. He was at every one of them, though, so it was good. <laughs> I, I live vicariously through through that, my son, so it was good. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about Info Visa because you've spoken or you've been around ABA. I don't I don't know really what it does, so that's why we sure. have you here to. You know, a little bit of background. The ABA, first and foremost, I, I want to say, and I'll just round up. This is probably twenty or twenty-first year, and I go back to a time when the ABA had not just wealth management, but the operations focus conference as well. One of the best in the industry, you know, in terms of being able to see people, visit people. I look at it not as a group of vendors, if you will, or prospective clients or clients, but a family reunion. So there's people that in my 30 years in the industry, I see here, you know, Krista Donlin from the ABA, I mean, folks that I just see consistently, which is such a great opportunity for us. InfoVisa is, is really a strategically focused software vendor. And what we do is look at the needs across the board for bank trust departments, independent trust companies, wealth management, investment, Reg 9 reviews, document management, I mean a plethora of, if you will, solutions that really help organizations strategically focus on what they do and what they do best, and that's the end delivery point to the client. So for my you know, 30 years of doing this, one area that I always try to focus on, and, and people have heard me use this example, but I've got a 93-year-old mother, and I have to make sure that in the world of software, whatever that end result is, is something she can understand, and it fits and is customized to her needs. And one thing we do very well is across the board, taking a look at software and that solution, but making sure it can be customized and can be used by individual banks and trust companies to go out and do what they need to do in terms of taking care of clients, growing business, you know, doing a phenomenal job of differentiating themselves in the marketplace that they serve. So a, a service provider, software as a service, I guess, would, or, or, or a uh, vendor um, clearinghouse as a service. Um, tell us, uh, I guess, into, into some specifics um, what your wheelhouse really is. I mean, some of the some of the real high points of... of um... Oh, absolutely. The core and the foundation of everything we do is always trust accounting. I mean, where you're accounting for all the books and records and detail of every single one of those accounts that you manage. We take that a step further with all of the reporting, whether it's internal or whether it's external client statement packages, all the performance. So we've got a tool that really allows you to drive and generate performance right down to an asset level which is unique and interesting in our space and something we've done since probably 1992. And the objective is, is being able to formulate that whole process so that it does meet the needs of the end client. And unfortunately, sometimes we feel that what's reflective of our industry is always returns, yet there's so much more that we do. We then look at things like Maui Investment Manager, which is our core portfolio management and modeling system. So whether an organization is looking at um, managing a portfolio on an individual asset basis, using models, using a combination, using sleeves, however they want to manage the assets that they're responsible for. This solution not only does all that, but then integrates back into the trust accounting world, if you will. Another critical and important part of, and I think more from the regulatory perspective, is as fiduciaries, we're called to do Reg 9 reviews. And even if we weren't, I think it's a good thing. Look at your clients a couple times a year. You know, 
are their assets where they need to be? Do you understand their goals and objectives? You know, where is your risk tolerance? You know, what have you got going on? Is it retirement? Is it kids' college education? But this tool goes through that standard Reg 9 review process and allows you to go through a custom Q&A so that when you go through and ask these questions and you know, basically have the answers responded to, even if there are open areas or tasks as takeaways, our solution also generates the emails, the calendaring, I mean, everything to make sure that you're following up and getting things done. We then also have a full document management solution that's integrated. And the advantage of that is not only what one would define as a, um, you know, I generate a report for you and I save that, but do you have third-party documents like your agreement? Or, or maybe uh, the client says, you know, I've got a thousand share legacy position of IBM. I've worked there forever, but it's time to sell because my kid's over at Princeton. I got to pay for tuition. Well, I've got a letter that authorizes me now to sell that legacy position. I scan that and file it up right at the account level. So it's not this, oh gosh, I thought it's at the warehouse or I thought it's in some file someplace. Everything is neatly and, and tidy, if you will, all saved within the same solution. So across the board, those are kind of our focal points, if you will. And then integration with, as you see here, a plethora of um, third-party vendors that we have interfaces with to help you know, accentuate what we offer. So I want to back up a little bit on this. And we've had a few folks on. We've been around and, and seen what's being spoken with. How is the role of the fiduciary changing? The responsibility role. It seems to be that a big discussion going on is the role and how it's changing the regulatory impact of the role and responsibilities of, of fiduciary responsibility. You know, it's interesting that I, I came from the past year a large broker dealer, uh, 14,000 registered investment advisors. I had 109 that I was responsible for as a business consultant. So for probably eight months, I did nothing but live and breathe DOL and that whole impact. And the intent was to say is when you're in this brokerage world, you're going to be better in the industry to move over to the fiduciary side of things. So for me, what's interesting is what I've always known and lived for all my years has been fiduciary. I think what I see as a change is there's going to be some more regulations around it. But for me, it's business as usual. And when I see a lot of people who are out there, no disrespect to the RIA marketplace, it's a different world. And, and different to the extent that when you have that fiduciary status, you have a set of guidelines, a different approach, a, a very, if you will, transparent way in which you work with, focus on the client's needs, understand their goals. And I think sometimes when you look at a broker-dealer model, it is more of the brokerage world that we know, which is buying and selling securities. And, and once again, not that that's bad, but I think that I would say knowing in the industry what I've seen and what I've experienced, I really believe those who are fiduciaries are setting themselves up for some great future years of success because they've done all that hard work already. And sometimes it is a little painstaking. You have to go through a Q&A, I have to ask you, you know, what's your risk tolerance? What do you want to do? Where do you want to be? You know, that Maserati isn't quite right for you based on what we know. They're not easy conversations. You see my driving? Is it? <laughs> but, but He doesn't need one, it would be wrecked. But, but in the end, you know, what, what you're finding is the opportunity to really meet those clients' needs, have transparency, work within a regulatory body where you don't necessarily feel that for those past years, you've really done anything that is going to be a challenge. And that's where, once again, my, my background has really been um, focusing on the fiduciary side. And I'd like to say it's business as usual with, with some, you know, always challenges and modifications, but it's an area that 
if I look at where I have my money and where I have my family's money, I, I want them in that world. David, you've been doing this for about three decades now, maybe a little more. Um, you mentioned 1992 in relation to software um, when, when you really began to compile sort of the base of the system that you use now, kind of the structure. Um, living in the software world, world uh, that, that's amazing to me for, on a couple of, uh, for a couple of reasons, but, but the question that, that jumps out to me is, how many times would you estimate your world has just changed by 100%? How many times has it rolled over in software that you just upheaval with, with, with new versions? I mean, um, the computing systems change, ha have changed, you know, eight times since then, really. The hardware, software, operating system, so um, you're, you're there watching this, keeping it all together, staying ahead of that curve. But um, what kind of stress and how many times does it feel like your world is turned upside down and you've you flipped it back over? You know, it's interesting because in that career, you'd probably say around a half dozen just to round up. But, but what I think, you know, we have seen is that there's always an opportunity for that change when there is an end benefit to the user, to the process, um, and some of it for the sake of just changing or enhancing technology, you understand that you have to do, but what are the real results and benefits? And that's why a lot of what we do is we make sure there's always opportunities to enhance what we do, but a lot of what drives it is going out to the 170 users that we have and saying, what are what your you challenges? <laughs> Where's your business going? You know, do you have more of an opportunity to focus on maybe millennials now and you need, you know, applications that sit in an HTML5 environment? Those are all great and good changes. And, and sometimes you see things where you kind of scratch your head. I mean, I, I laugh when I tell people the story that in 1991 I started in sales and we had no phones, no phone calling cards, no credit cards. I mean, I basically, I worked for Northern Trust at that time and went and got, you know, three, $4,000 in cash, a roll of quarters, and I was gone. Right. <laughs> Did you have a pager at that stage? Not, no, I didn't have not, a pager. Not a pager yet, but and pay phone banks. We didn't have email. We yeah. didn't have voicemail. And you know what I feel I've lost in that, and I may be dating myself with this comment, is people used to pick up the phone back then. Oh, yeah. You could have a conversation. And, and now technology has done so many wonderful things for us, but I'm challenged during Christmas break when my 22 and 18 year old are sitting on the couch talking to each other via texts. Right. So, you know, part of it I think is great and I've gone through several evolutions and as long as it continues where it really benefits and helps, it's a good thing. When you're taking away some of the components of just what's fun in life in terms of conversations it's and working. Being a human being. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's where I would say, um, I, I've seen it, and, and most of it has been good for the right reasons, and others have been just, you know, we're, we're changing for the sake of changing, and now I don't talk to people anymore. I text them. <laughs> so quick question, because we're bumping up on our time, but I've asked this of, of all but one, which I missed, uh, is if you had a million dollars in cash right now, what would you do with it? What would I do with it? Yeah, what would you do with it? In and it, terms, can be, it can be, it's anything you want to be. We're just trying to get a, a, a flare of different people's thoughts when they hear something like that. And are you asking from an investment perspective or just anything in life? You can, you can go with it as investment. You can go to what you do. Okay. With it. it's, it's your answer. So if, if you, anybody who knows me, I, I push some information out on LinkedIn and Twitter. I am National Director of Stewardship for the Serbian Orthodox Church of North and South America. And so our whole focus is 
use of time, talents, and treasures when we're here. And I really do try to balance my work life, my personal life, my church life. You know, I would probably, um, in all honesty, and I've got some business plans and thoughts behind this, is look at starting an independent trust company that is faith-based and then start doing more in terms of stewardship and building opportunities for people who want to leave a legacy, but to do good works, you know, while they're still here. So that's something that always excites me. And that's why I love this question. Yeah, I, I mean, love that quite, because we yeah. always get a cool different answer from yeah. everybody. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, great answer. Well, uh, David, give what? us the, uh, how do we get in touch with you? For if you're listening on the podcast, if someone's at home and they are at work and they hear this and they're like, yeah, I really I, like what that guy was saying, how do I get it, in touch with it? it? It's really easy. I mean, my, my direct number, um, 773-410-7795 or david.batrich, B-A-T-R-I-C-H, at infovisa.com. There we go. Hey, David loves the personal connection. It's not the general website. It's my number, my email I address. It. I love it. I love it. Love it. Old school. Well, with the, with the, hey, new, but, with the, but, with the new school tech. But good school. Yeah, good school. So <laughs> thanks for being on the Gentlemen, show. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the official policy or position of any financial institution or agency, Renaissance Corporation, Renaissance Bank and its affiliates, or the Mavis Agency. For more information, please visit marketingmoneypodcast.com.